Hey, welcome to the Bible Savvy Podcast, a weekly conversation on how to understand, enjoy, and apply God's Word. I'm your host, Nikki Lucas, and I'm joined by Executive Pastor Eric Ferris and Teaching Pastor Clayton Keenan. We're about to jump into another passage from the Bible Savvy Reading Schedule, but before we do, guys, I've got a question for you. Which smells better, fresh cut grass or bread baking in the oven? Oh, man. This one. I, I bet our consistent listeners know what I'm going to vote here. <laughs> My love of yard work and landscaping and add to that playing soccer from young childhood all the way through college. It's fresh cut grass. So many good memories associated with grass. I think I got to go on the other side. I, I mean, fresh cut grass is okay, but it feels like, oh man, I've got to mow the lawn, which is not a joy to me. And, and oh, I bet you my allergies are going to be terrible. So I have that association, even though I'm not like allergic to the grass, but, uh, but fresh baked bread. Oh my gosh. You walk into a house when that's happening. It's like, oh, this is, it's going to be a good evening. Like yeah, this but is, if you walk into a subway and smell <laughs> their fresh baked bread. No, that's, that's a different that's thing. Different. That's different. That doesn't feel the same. Am I, I the only one that thinks that subways smell like B.O.? I, I don't know if it smells I like I haven't BO, been in a subway for a very long time, so I can't even remember. But it does not appeal to me. You don't eat me. fresh? No, no, I don't. All right. I, I have a I have a relative who hates the smell of uh, brownies baking, huh. but I love that. Like the yeah. oh my gosh, it's so good. But for him, it's like no, I got to get out of here. Wow, interesting. Yeah. What about you, Nikki? Mine would be bread as well. Um, you know, now that it's getting to be summer and the grass is cut, um, I walk outside and it's just this instant allergic reaction. Yeah, so, you got the allergies, yeah. So for me, um, I hate the smell of fresh cut grass. Um, always have. So bed, bre- bed breaking it, bread, bread, baking in an oven is what my choice would be. Hey, do you guys remember that time that Clayton referred to Holy Week as tasty? <laughs> <laughs> well, we don't have something tasty coming up, but we have something that might smell good coming up. Clayton, what is it? <laughs> oh my gosh. Wow. Uh, what a setup. <laughs> <laughs> we have a uh, Bible savvy workshop coming up uh, this week. Actually, it's on Thursday. So uh, if you uh, want to come and learn about the book of Isaiah, which I hope you do because it's really important, but also challenging. We've got an expert in Isaiah coming. His name is Dr. Abernathy. He's from Wheaton College. He'll be here at seven o'clock at the St. Charles South Elgin campus and uh, all are invited. We've already got uh, over a hundred people signed up. So it seems like people are eager for that, but it's going to be worth your time. Hey, Clayton, is it being live streamed? It is not being live streamed. Is it being recorded for future viewing? It is uh, It is not being recorded. We'll have a very low quality recording that will not be posted anywhere, but it's not It's not going to be shared. I'm trying, to, I'm trying to help out our listeners. You need to actually register for this thing and show up at the St. Charles South Elgin campus to hear Dr. Abernathy. Hey, Clayton. Yeah. Will the average person be able to understand Dr. Abernathy, or is he so smart and academic that we're all going to be rolling our eyes? Oh, you will definitely understand him. He came in and, and taught the uh, staff a few years ago, and he was great. He's also used to, to talking to 19-year-olds about the Bible, so nice. uh, he's, he knows how to do it. Hey, Clayton. Yeah. I feel like, I feel like a new segment <laughs> is starting to emerge hey, called Hey, Clayton. Hey Clayton. <laughs> hey, Clayton, do you know why me and my wife are coming to the Isaiah workshop? Uh, no, why? And I have admittedly not been to any of the other... Bible that's right. Workshops. Yeah, this would be a first. But I am coming to this one for this reason. If you think about athletes, let's take take like a baseball player, and they're and they have their strengths and their weaknesses. So like some are better at hitting, some are better at fielding, some are better at running. So every athlete has strengths and weaknesses. If I think about my 
uh, understanding of the Bible and where I'm strong and where I'm weak, I would evaluate my understanding of Isaiah as weak. And that's a problem because it's a really important book of the Bible. So me and my wife will be at the Isaiah Bible Savvy Workshop listening to Dr. Abernethy. Fantastic. And he hope he smells good. <laughs> Like fresh baked like bread. Because if he smells like a mowed lawn, I'm going to have a thousand or, questions or for that subway. man. <laughs> All right, Clayton, what passage are we looking at today? All right, we're going to be in Isaiah chapter 25 today. Let me give you a little context for this. Uh, so Isaiah is writing at a time when he the uh, people of Israel and Judah are being threatened by the Assyrian Empire. So the big bad Assyrians are coming through, and he has been prophesying about how they're going to be punished by Assyria, that God's going to use Assyria as a punishment. But he's also looking ahead to a future judgment that will come, you know, about 150 years later, uh, the people of Babylon are going to come through and they're going to judge, uh, God's going to use them to judge the southern kingdom. And so he is kind of bouncing back and forth. If you've been reading along, there are probably points where you're saying, okay, when, when is this happening? That's part of the confusing part of Isaiah. But then what he does in the section that we're looking at right now is in some ways he backs up. He gets kind of a big picture saying all of these judgments coming through are a picture of the ultimate day of the Lord when God is going to deal with all evil and sin and put things right. So in chapter 24, he describes kind of in general the way that he uh, God is going to uh, judge people. And then in chapter 25, we see sort of the aftermath of that and, and where that's going to go. So uh, there are some parts here that kind of blend into the, the uh, future day of the Lord, but it's all Isaiah talking in context of these times when God has come and judged Israel along the way. So we're going to read in Isaiah chapter 25. Lord, you are my God. I will exalt you and praise your name, for in perfect faithfulness you have done wonderful things. Things planned long ago. You have made the city a heap of rubble, the fortified town a ruin, the foreigner's stronghold a city no more. It will never be rebuilt. Therefore, strong peoples will honor you. Cities of ruthless nations will revere you. You have been a refuge for the poor, a refuge for the needy in their distress, a shelter from the storm, and a shade from the heat. For the breath of the ruthless is like a storm driving against a wall and like the heat of the desert. You silence the uproar of foreigners as heat is reduced by the shadow of a cloud. So the song of the ruthless is stilled. On this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats and the finest of wines. On this mountain, he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all peoples, the sheet that covers all nations. He will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. He will remove his people's disgrace from all the earth. The Lord has spoken. And in that day, they will say, Surely this is our God. We trusted in him and he saved us. This is the Lord. We trusted in him. Let us rejoice and be glad in his salvation. The hand of the Lord will rest on this mountain, but Moab will be trampled in their land, as straw is trampled down in the manure. They will stretch out their hands in it, as swimmers stretch out their hands to swim. God will bring down their pride, despite the cleverness of their hands. He will bring down your high fortified walls and lay them low. He will bring them down to the ground, to the very dust." All right. The next step in comma is O for observation. So we talk about the things that we see here. What do you got? 
Oh, here it is. That what? sound means it's time for your comma tip of the week. And actually, this week, it's going to be your comma correction of the week. I don't know how we did it, but we went three full years without making one error on this entire podcast. We never misspoke. We never gave a factual (laughs) error. We never even stumbled over our words. It was pure perfection for three years. Wow. But we have a few corrections. We have a few uh, admissions. We need to own up to a few things. So the first one is this. Uh, In one of my comma tips of the week, I was talking about listening to the Bible, the audio features in the U version. I went back into the U version and realized I was wrong. They do have the intros to each book of the Bible, but they don't have them in the audio version. It appears on the screen if you're if you're using the audio version, but if you click on it, you realize, oh, there is no audio version for the intro. So I misled thousands, thousands of people. I told you that the intros of the Bible are available via audio on the U version Bible app, and it is not. The second one is a few episodes ago, Clayton misspoke and gave a wrong date, and he realized it afterwards. And if anybody picked up on this, that would be absolutely amazing. But since we're doing corrections today, we'll go ahead and correct it. Clayton cited 650 BC when it should have been 750 BC. And, and, here's, and here's why that matters. And you may not have caught it, but uh, the reason it matters is the northern kingdom of Israel gets taken into exile in 722 BC and then the southern kingdom of Judah in 586 B.C. So when the prophets are talking before, the northern kingdom gets taken away in 722. Obviously, what the prophets are saying has to come before that. And if anybody picked up on Clayton just mistakenly just saying 650 instead of 750, I don't know what kind of prize we should give them, but that would be pretty stellar. It, it would be. It would be. I mean, uh, if you are if you were in an Old Testament class, it would be like talking about something happening before the Civil War or after the Civil War, like in American history. Like, it makes a big deal. So, uh, 722 is one of those dates that you cannot forget if you've been in a seminary at all. So, my blunder was bigger. Clayton's was, uh, <laughs> Clayton's was a number that you may not have picked up on. But anyway, this has been your comma corrections of the week. <laughs> Did not see that coming. Two new segments. There All you right. Go. Uh, what What are your observations? Um, I love how the passage opens up. Um, Lord, you are my God. I will exalt you and praise your name for in perfect faithfulness you have done wonderful things. I loved this idea that God is perfectly faithful. Um, just a really pretty picture. Uh, he's done wonderful things. He carries out his plans. Um, that's what really stood out to me first first and foremost. Yeah, to add on to that, I like the last line of that where it says, things you have planned long ago. Mm-hmm. I, I love the idea that God – It's we, we sometimes think God is responding in the moment like, oh, no, i got to figure out what to do next. Um, God never has to figure out what to do next. He, he knows ahead of time how he's going to act, and it's a good plan. Um, and I, I just think that's a cool thought. Mm-hmm. I see myself being confused. That's what I see in this text. This happens to me a lot when I'm reading Isaiah, which is why I consider my understanding of Isaiah weak. I have a hard time situating what Isaiah is talking about on on timelines, right? Like a lot of times when the prophets are talking, they're talking about, okay, well, here's what's going to happen. The Babylonians, God's going to use the Babylonians and they're going to come in and they're going to take you away into exile. And the prophet talks about it and then later it happens. So it's chronological What's going on in Isaiah isn't always necessarily chronological. Sometimes it is. And so I'm just admitting it out loud. Maybe that helps a lot of our listeners today uh, because I see some of that in here, but then it seems, I don't know if I'm right or wrong, but it seems like he jumps and maybe I'm just misreading it. Yeah, there's, there, there is a little bit of 
um, ambiguity about what situation he's talking about. So it could be, uh, it sounds generic, but he's applying it specifically to when God's going to you know, get rid of the Babylonians or the Assyrians, but it doesn't actually say any of those names. And it, it seems very um, broad. And when you get to that part, that's like, God's going to do away with death. It feels very final. Like it's not, it's not what happened when God delivered them from the Babylonians. Right. So uh, I think what he's doing is saying in the context of situations where God's going to rescue you from this particular group, he's almost stepping back and saying, let's look at the big picture of how God rescues from evil. But that is one of the things that's confusing because it's kind of telescoping from this situation to that situation to the entire universe. So um, there is something in that. I actually looked at a footnote. So there's a a part where it talks, uh, let's see, it talks about the city being um, destroyed, right? Like in verse two or or verse, you know, a couple of them talk about cities being destroyed. And I was like, well, what city are we talking about? Um, in In the note, it says, well, this could be any city that's rebelled against God. And it was like Babylon, Jerusalem, like it just listed, you know, even the commentators were like, it's not entirely clear. Um, it's more like a general way God is going to oppose evil and deliver his people. Yeah, and I think that's the part that really stood out to me in this passage was the uh, the truth about God is like who he is and what, what he will do, what he has done. Um, when I read the book of Isaiah, it is also confusing for me as well. And so the part that is helpful for me is in those passages is if I can't understand the timeline or if I don't specifically know what what he's meaning even the in even the study notes can be sometimes confusing because they are sometimes very general and I'll I'll look at okay so truth about God what's something striking here you know what I mean like it, what is it it's like the uh the treats right so truth about God uh repeating words ideas something striking and then themes, themes. yeah like to me that's what I'll narrow in on because sometimes I can't understand it either. That is a, that should be the comma tip of the week. I should go back and retract my comma corrections of the week. That's a really great tip. If yeah. you're reading a text that you're having a hard time situating or fully understanding, just go ahead and ask yourself, is there a truth about God here that I can pull out and just focus on that? That's yeah. really great. Yeah. It's, it's almost always doable in the prophets. The prophets yeah. are most often confusing, but they, they do a lot of attributes and actions mm-hmm. of God. And so there's a lot to look at in that part. Yeah. I'll make an observation along those lines. Verse four, uh, it says, God, you have been a refuge for the poor, a refuge from the needy, a shelter from the storm, shade from the heat. Like there is this sense of uh, protection from uh, a threat from the outside. And there's something really beautiful about that, even just the v- a variety of ways it talks about that, the shelter from the storm. If you've ever, you know, uh, had to run in from just like a really intense storm and you're maybe you're in the basement or maybe you're just inside and you're, 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 you're warm and, and dry, um, that feeling or, or the, the feeling of like, it's so hot outside. Like it's got both sides of the weather thing, which we, we get in our area. Um, and so that sense of protection when there is real threat on the other side, um, to say God is the one who provides that, that's just a beautiful picture. Yeah, and just just after that, my observation is actually verse 5, uh, where he's talking. He says, the breath of the ruthless, ruthless is like a storm driving against a wall and like the heat of the desert. Mm-hmm. It says, but then you silence the uproar as heat is reduced by the shadow of a cloud. What a great word picture. We've all experienced that, right? You're in the sun and it's really hot and the cloud just kind of passes over and immediately uh, that the Lord has the ability to do that. That was That's a pretty great word picture. Yeah. The other thing I loved is, again, just picking up on the the truth about 
how he, you know, who God is and what he does for people is he wipes away tears. He removes disgrace. He can be trusted. He saves. Um, we get to rejoice in his salvation. Not, not like we don't rejoice in our, in this own save, like the saving of ourselves, but we rejoice in how he saves us. There's a, a repeating word here. It talks about the ruthless. Yeah. I don't know if you noticed that, but the the ruthless. And then it seems to be in parallel with uh, uh, the peoples, the ruthless nations, the foreigners. So in, in Isaiah's context, he is thinking about the nation, um, God's people being opposed by all of these uh, really oppressive empires around. So God's using Assyria and Babylon to, to, to punish his people. Um, but when it comes down to it, those guys were bad guys. Like they, they were not... Um, necessarily good for people. They're they're invading, trying to conquer the world. And so to look out and say, here's what's threatening us, the superpowers of the day. Israel's not a big country. Like we're used to being living in a superpower. Um, and so we don't feel quite this threat, but a little country that is neighboring these big, you know, aggressive uh, nations, they feel like, oh no, what's going to happen? They They could take over us. And so to say, like God is the one who protects us. We don't, in ourselves, we feel vulnerable, but these ruthless people who are going to come in and do who knows what to us, um, God can silence them. That's, that's, a, that's a powerful image. Another observation for me is verse six. It's a party that I want to go to. <laughs> yeah. A yeah. feast of rich food for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine and the best of meats and the finest wines. That sounds right. Yeah, but then even too, like verse verse seven and eight, like on this mountain he will destroy mm-hmm. the shroud that enfolds all peoples, the sheet that covers all nations. He will swallow up death forever. Um, like thinking, if I'm just that's that's a beautiful picture too. The thinking ahead of like that Christ was the one that has destroyed death mm-hmm. forever. Like, is you know is Isaiah thinking ahead to the coming of the Messiah there, e- or you know either way like it's a that's that's what he's talking about. Yeah, there there is definitely pictures of a end times talking like eschatological stuff, right? Like a messianic banquet. There's a party coming at some point. Yeah. Uh, and if you look in the NIV Study Bible notes on that verse, it's going to send you to Matthew eight, Luke fourteen, Luke twenty two. Uh, all New Testament texts talking about this this feast that's coming one day with the Lamb of God, who is Jesus the Messiah. Mm-hmm. I, I love the the two images next to each other because one is a one is I, not necessarily, but it feels like a wedding, right? Like there's there's a banquet. That's that's where I encounter most banquets, and then there's a funeral. And I've had this experience when I'm at a wedding or I'm at a funeral that there are sometimes moments when you say. Some, this is ringing true about something really true about human life and what we desire and need. So um, there's something about uh, a wedding where you say, oh, wait, I feel like this is more than just celebrating these two people that I happen to be friends with or whatever. It's it's a picture of the way things ought to be, you know, that we're feasting, we're celebrating something like this is this is um, something ideal. Like we even dress people up in ways that like make them look more grand and more glorious than they would in ordinary life. Um, and then funerals, you get that experience of like there's an ache, a longing, like the when it talks about like I, I almost get choked up when I think about like he's going to take away the shroud. You know what I mean? Like it's it's no longer is it going to be this like mourning and grief and the distance and barrier between someone and, like there there's going to be something 
alive and good. And, and we ache for that when we go to a funeral. And so those, those two things, it just feels like it captures the human longing. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and thinking more about this, this banquet, uh, the, the most impressive thing may not be the, the finest of wines and the best of meats. It might be the phrase before it, which is a feast of rich food for all people. Yes. Mm-hmm. Right. right. So if you ask the question, who gets to drink the finest wine and eat the best of meats? The answer, the wealthy. But who gets to come to the messianic banquet? Everybody. 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 Yeah. Well, it's, it's even more amazing when you consider that in the surrounding verses, he's talking about these other people groups that are oppressing them. Like there, there's some, there, there's gotta be, there's like some implication there of, you know what, at some point these will no longer be enemies. There will be people from among these groups that will be welcome to the banquet and they'll be there in peace. Like there, there's something cool about that. All right, let's go on to one of the M's in comma, message. Let's try to sum up based on some of our observations in a, in a sentence or two, kind of a, a big idea from this passage. Uh, my message just looking at all of these truths about who God is and what he has done, will do, all of those things. Um, my message is God is faithful. You can trust him. My message might be a little bit of a leap, but I would say this. I would say I'm okay living in the messy middle because I know how the story ends. When, when I see things like the Messianic banquet and I can turn to the end of the book and read Revelation and we see Jesus on the throne that that means there are questions I still have and difficulties and days where I'm like, how Lord, how long, Lord, and how do you choose when you judge and when you administer your judgment and all of those questions that we all have. But uh, glimpses of the messianic banquet just remind me that I can I can live in the messy middle because I know how the story ends. Yeah, my my message is the world's funeral will be transformed into God's feast. I just I, th- those images there are just so powerful. I think it's so beautiful, and and especially when you're in the midst of uh, experiencing a funeral. You know what I mean? Well, metaphorically, you know the loss and the the incompleteness. To say no, no, one day the feast is coming. It's just so hopeful. All right, let's go on to the next M in comma, which is meditation. This is where we take a portion of the passage and we pray through it, mull over it, prayerfully ponder what it means. And we're going to take that image of the feast there. So let me read this again to you, verses six and seven. On this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best meats and the finest of wines. On this mountain, he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all peoples, the sheet that covers all nations. He will swallow up death forever. Let's talk about the A in comma, which is application. How do you respond? What are you going to do? So based off of my message, um, God is faithful. You can trust him. Uh, 
similar to what you guys said in the sense that like when I when you don't understand something when the circumstances seem upside down um, I want to remember to pray God you are faithful and I trust you and that's something that I've been doing just more regularly is when I find myself in a, a circumstance or a situation sometimes I don't have the words to know what to pray in order to to, to ask God into the situation and so I start with just recognizing, all right, God, you are faithful. I can trust you. Or God, like, you're bigger than me right now, so, like, I need you to kind of step into this. It's just acknowledging it and then letting the Holy Spirit intercede on on your behalf. So, God, you are faithful. I can trust you. I'm going to pray that reminder. My first thought for application was I wonder what vegetarians think about the Messianic banquet being the, the best of age. Is that why you're but smiling I, over there? Yes, because I had all kinds of thoughts scrolling through my head. Uh, obviously, this banquet does not just have meat and wine. It's just symbolic of how amazing the banquet's going to be. So here's, here's my application. Have you ever had somebody hype something up for you so much like, oh, you've got to see this movie or oh, you've got to go to this restaurant and they talk it up so much that you experience it and you're like, it was good, but now it's a letdown because I was expecting too much from it. You follow me on this? Yeah, yeah. So I wonder if recognizing things like the Messianic banquet and and death being done with and the perfection of what is coming, that that is the ultimate thing to look forward to. I wonder if we can enjoy what we experience here and now more if we're not expecting it to be what's going to be mm. in the future. Mm. Maybe we should stop hyping up the here and now so much, think more about how awesome that's going to be, and we would actually enjoy now more. Yeah. That was somewhat convoluted, but that's my application. No, that's a good thought. Uh, my application might be a little bit of the inverse of that. So it's it's actually taking moments of simple enjoyment here, or, or it's not the final feast, but a, a moment of uh, celebration or enjoyment here. Um, and almost using it as a defiant way of saying it's not always going to be like this. So there are times when things are hard and uh, what we need to do is like pray prayers of lament or that sort of thing. But sometimes an ingredient in that is to say, you know what? I'm going to have a little feast that one day death and loss and tears and all of these things are going to be gone. And so I'm going to celebrate now, even though it's still coming. It's not, I'm in the midst of it right now, but I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to make a good burger. I'm going to have a bowl of ice cream. I'm going to gather some people and say, you know what? We're going to be hopeful, even though things are hard right now. Um, Sometimes it's funny because we use food and enjoyment sometimes as distractions, but you can actually use them as kind of defiant hope of saying, you know what? In the, in the midst of this, I'm going to say there's still joy. There's still thankfulness. There's still something I'm hoping for. And so that's an application for me. I'm going to go eat a defiant Costco hot dog. (laughs) Well, there you With have a it, friends. Look on my face while I eat it. Eric's going to go eat a hot dog, and you're going to join us next Monday for a new episode. We'll be looking at another passage from the Bible Savvy reading schedule. In the meantime, if you're not following along with the reading plan, check out BibleSavvy.com to download it and start reading along. Also, you can subscribe and leave a review on whatever platform you're listening on. Email us your questions or suggestions well, ice cream at podcast at BibleSavvy.com. Ice cream Lastly, and the tell hot your dog. friends, and we'll talk to you next week. Hot dogs and ice cream.